Michael Vincent, the dude. You know, I'm looking at that intro there, and I think Kentucky could have used us with those vertical leaps. Uh, exactly. Could have used some, some hoops and yeah. some jump. How is your bracket holding up this morning? Uh, I went 12-4. Uh, and four. Felt like 4-12, and 12, though. <laughs> I was <laughs> like watching all those 12s and 15s just hand it to me. <laughs> so at Freightways, we have a uh, big company bracket going on. We have uh, 120-some-odd participants in it. I'm in fifth place. However, I have no endgame here because I picked UConn. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and they didn't win last night. Well, that didn't it, turn out too a, well. It's a non-binary um, bracket that you've got there. I'm 35th. Well, I did I did get <laughs> so when I was I don't follow college basketball at all. So when I was filling mine out um, from the Northeast and I, I'm like, "Hey, I hear UConn yeah, does UConn's well all the time." Turns out I confuse it for like the the women's basketball team. So <laughs> wrong wrong tournament. It happens. <laughs> well, here's a little fact though. The the did you know this? So the odds for a perfect bracket are 1 in 1 9 number go. 2. 9.2 quintillion. One, yes, one in 9.2 quintillion. It was such a big number. That's I had a lot to let my of brain tillions. process all those zeros. That's a lot of tillions. That was a lot of zeros. How did it's you a, process that that quick? I, I don't know how you. I mean, that's a that's a. You think it's easier to like pick everything wrong the first round? No, because well, like if you picked all underdogs. You, well, I mean, just just every team you picked in the first round lost. That's like the SAT is like trying to get a zero. Yeah, yeah, could happen. <laughs> hey, let me ask you something. Have you ever shoplifted before? Just uh, last week. Just I like to keep my skills up. Just to keep my skills I, up. So I bet there's a lot of people who they answer that. Nah, I've never shoplifted That's before. That's nah, You ever been by one of these pick a mix Brox displays? <laughs> yeah, right. I doubt anyone's even Stevens with a pick a mix Brox display. <laughs> right? You've, <laughs> take, you. you've taken an extra root beer barrel. That's right. You've taken an extra fireball in there. <laughs> you know, they don't, you don't really see those around anymore. If you think about it, they, like, they're a company that turned into a dinosaur. They didn't like adapt to like airheads and warheads and sour candy and all the trends that were happening. Instead, they kept being like the. Um, the butterscotch you'd find in the bottom of your, your grandmother's purse. Yeah, the palm oil flavored butterscotch. Yeah, a little uh, yeah. M- <laughs> menthol tobacco leaf on it. Some lipstick. <laughs> the menthol tobacco flavor. Yeah. Tastes like copper. Tastes a little bit like copper. All right, copper, let's yeah. tip the band. We'll get into it. we got a lot to do today. So looking for a new adventure? Take the next step on your career journey with AIT Worldwide Logistics. When you join their growing team, you'll collaborate with expert colleagues around the world to create innovative solutions backed by world-class customer service you ready to push the supply chain envelope. Your next adventure is, is waiting. Just all you got to do is visit career section at Tell em, Dude. Hey, go to AITWorldwide.com. Learn more. Apply today after the show. Headlines. Breaking news. The Chattanooga Mucks are going to win the NCAA tournament. Isaiah Buchanan says so. I got them in St. Pete's. I'm, I'm riding them in St. Pete's now that, uh, that all this happened. Can they meet? I don't know. I don't I have know. to check the brackets. I'm not sure. Bracket. I don't think they're, they're they my can. horses now. All right. Anyways, start here. So this was this was a this is a bad one. We got some video here too. If you could roll that. So Walmart Distribution Center. This place had been ablaze for more than 24 hours, and you see those plumes of smoke. They were going everywhere. And I've heard from a ton of people out in this Indianapolis area. This happened by Plainfield. They, they've all like you could see this out th- throughout Indianapolis, right? Well, Jack DeLeo reports this is a 1.2 million square foot Walmart Distribution Center in that Plainfield, Indiana it's a big area. It's about five miles from Indianapolis International Airport. It caught fire Wednesday, a little before. Noon, and it sent those massive plumes of, of smoke that could be seen from space. 
Wow, yeah, look at that old Dominion going up in flames right there. Unbelievable. We're grateful to local emergency crews for their quick response for our fulfillment center. Walmart said in a statement, all associates have been accounted for and are safe with no injuries reported. And they're working with police and fire. All questions will be referred to police and fire. Uh, according to a press conference with Plainfield Fire Chief Brett Anderson, fire crews, I think we have some more of that video. Let's just keep that video going. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This, I mean, this footage is wild. You don't see this every day. Uh-uh. Fire crews that were conducting training drills in the area were on the scene within three minutes. They were there right away. I mean, super fast response. But the effort to put the blaze was just too much. Uh, there was 200 firefighters there, more than a dozen agencies assisting in this. The good news is that approximately 1,000 employees of the distribution center and firefighters had been accounted for. There's no serious injuries that have been reported. A, a doctor did chime in. He said smoke from the Walmart warehouse fire may hurt your lungs. So, you know, uh, be, just be aware of the Breaking obvious. news. <laughs> but, uh, do you, I mean, is, do you think, so we just saw that Roro vessel on fire, right? And that yeah. stayed on yeah, fire, yeah. and that yeah. had a lot to do with lithium-ion batteries. Do you think, like, we're, do you think there's too much lithium-ion batteries in these warehouses, or do we know, we don't know what causes yet so i don't want to like speculate but what would cause a fire to burn for that long uh you know i i haven't the slightest idea there's many different reasons for that like that you said the the batteries once they catch on fire you don't put them out I, I don't know but i would imagine that the investigation from batfa that is going on right now i guess they're on there right now it will probably may come out with some new guidelines on uh, uh fire prevention in warehouses because three minutes they were there total disaster anyways I didn't matter it- I believe at this point it's mostly suppressed. We're not really, they're still figuring out, they're still unwinding the situation and figuring out the aftermath. The good news, though, is that those on scene were able to evacuate safely. So God bless them. Yeah. Praying for all you out there. Don't breathe in the smoke. All right, even more speculation about evergreen groundings. That's right, Kim Link-Wills reports this is not deja vu. It's the first sign of spring. That's what happens when an evergreen vessel gets stuck somewhere. So Kim Link-Wills reports <laughs> the Everford, uh, ever given, ever stuck. A lot of memes about these. Here's one right here. When your ex says, I know I hurt you in the past, but I have changed. But there they are, stuck again one year later. Let's take a look at how short this fateful journey was. Oh, do we have that? Yeah, we do. Can we take a look at how short this is? That was it. That's as far as she got. She just excited, biked out, and crashed right there with the overheat. I think that's real time. I think it was real time. That was not a far drive. They say most accidents happen when you're, you know, like within a mile of home. Yeah, that's absolutely true. The Never Forward ran aground Sunday night in Chesapeake Bay after departing the port of Baltimore. As of late Thursday afternoon, the container ship with carrying over 11,850 20-foot equivalent units still had not refloated. They're still trying to get that gone. On March 23rd, which you said before, almost exactly a year ago, 2021, another evergreen uh, marine vessel, 20,000 TU, ever given, if you remember, uh, uh, took a a right in the... uh, in the Suez Canal. Sure, yeah, digger, digger fame. So they might need that digger again. They're going to have to dredge this vessel out. It's stuck differently than the Ever Given was, Mm -hmm. and it's actually stuck into the rocks there. So this one is actually, they thought the tide could lift it out. It's bored in a little bit deeper than that, and the water level doesn't seem to be high enough to to have been able to successfully refloat it yet. Lars Jensen does want to remind everybody, though he's the CEO of Vespucci Marine, he cautioned in a LinkedIn post that this is an event that shouldn't be blown out of proportion. It's not like the Ever Given in the sense that it's not blocking a commerce canal. This is stuck out on its own. Everybody can avoid it. The ones that are most impacted are the seafarers on the boat, not to, not to minimize that. And the uh, 11,850 containers, obviously, and those who are owned by them are, are all impacted by this, but not nearly as bad as what is going on uh, with the Ever Given. Yeah, it's just reduced to one-way traffic through that, connect, that channel right now. It sure is. Is yeah. what's going on. And, uh, yeah, yeah totally what was the latest blocked. update? Evergreen to Dredge. Yeah, they're 
right now they have to dredge and they need some assistance to help salvage. Uh, here's headline number three. Trucker accused of murdering a co-driver. Noy Mahoney reports a Florida truck driver was arrested Tuesday on allegations he murdered his co-driver and he dumped the body last week along Interstate 65 in Indiana. That's uh, Miguel Iborgarin, 44 of Miami, that you're looking at right there. He was arrested in Arlington, Texas, where he was tracked by investigators with the Indiana State Police. He's accused of killing Aristides Garcia, 63 of Los Angeles, according to the police report. Yeah, the police report did not state the name of the Cedar Rapids, Iowa-based company <laughs> that employed both men, but investigators said they believe that Bergeron was Garcia's co-driver for a national trucking company. Crews cleaning along I-65 I I'm sorry, in White County, Indiana, discovered Garcia's body on March 8th. Garcia had been reported missing by his employer on February 3rd after his tractor trailer was located without him. Yeah, we don't have a ton of details on this. We know he was dumped. Investigators ruled the death a homicide, but they did not... They did not put out those specific details. As you mentioned, he was located in Arlington at the time. He was taken into custody by the Arlington Police Department, the Texas Department of Public Safety. He's being jailed in Arlington right now. He's awaiting extradition to Indiana. I guess we'll learn more when he goes up for trial. Yeah, I guess we'll get more uh, indication of what that's going on there. Just They gave everything except the address for that unknown carrier. <laughs> I guess so, yeah. They didn't want to put the, the name out yeah. there for well, yeah. Anyways. Uh, let's talk to, I hope his bracket's doing better than ours. Let's talk to Daniel Powell. He's the CEO of Optimal Dynamics. Oh, yeah. Maybe he used his uh, data-driven decision-making to kick our ass in a little NCAA picks. I don't know. Probably did. <laughs> Daniel, how are you doing this morning? What's going on, guys? Doing well. How about yourself? I like, where are you? Are you back in the office? I am finally back in the office. It's, it's good to be here. <laughs> It's looking good. No, because I noticed this now. So we interview a ton of people on this show. And I've, and like, I've noticed recently a lot of the backgrounds have gone from like people's bedrooms and, yeah, and, right. and kitchens back into the office. And it's, uh, it's nice to see it. Um, tell us a little bit, though. Tell us a little bit about uh, Optimal Dynamics for this audience who may not have been introduced to you and your great team before. Yeah, for sure. So uh, while I lo lost track and uh, forgot to submit my brackets, so I don't know if it's doing better than yours. Uh, <laughs> we are a uh, data-driven company. So we help uh, truckload carriers from you know 50 truck truckload carriers to the largest in the nation make better decisions about their company. So everything from uh, strategic planning decisions to helping them automate and optimize their daily operational decisions. Yeah, excellent, Dan. You know those those brackets you forget to turn in are always the best ones. Yeah, I had those guys picked. I just <laughs> <laughs> so you guys, but you guys have grown massively, right? Like from eleven to fifty uh, uh, people, uh, over fifty people in the last year. How have you guys been navigating it? What's what's fueling the growth? Yeah, the last year has been uh, really good for us. So we've almost five x headcount uh, over the last year. We'll be almost doubling it uh, this upcoming year. Uh, you know, we are fortunate to have amazing customers and also amazing backers. And so this has allowed us to just, you know, double down on our R&D investments uh, and our go-to-market investments to, you know, bring in new customers to the company, but also more importantly, uh, try to build the best solutions for our current customers. And so, you know, that's been uh, the main driver of the growth. Pair that up with a platform that helps people make decisions in uncertain environments uh, this is about as uncertain as it can ever get in logistics, and it seems like there's no end in sight. So it's been really good to have a tool to help our customers out uh, as they navigate all the complexities that we've been dealing with over the last couple of years. 
Well, Daniel, I've told our insiders audience this before, but at least one night a week I go to sleep in an optimal dynamic shirt. You sent me um, a few a couple years ago, and one of them, it made it into my pajama because it's so comfortable. You, you know how comfortable those shirts are. They're super comfortable. And one of them, I always got that OD, so I'm always thinking about you and your team. And now I'm thinking about this 5X scaling. Has there, any been, has there been any challenges over the last year scaling by 5X, growing this company and, and keeping pace with your own growth? Yeah, there definitely has. You know, it's it's taken a lot of work to get the right team members here to help support the growth. You know, just adding headcounts doesn't really push the company forward. And so we really need to handle it in a methodical way. Uh, pair that with this sort of, uh, you know, we're finally crawling back into the office, but a lot of our interactions with our team members, almost more than 50% of them are remote. Um, and so we've been, ha uh, we've really had to be proactive in terms of our communication, uh, and then also making sure we're bringing in the right team members to our team and specifically not just people who understand technology, but understand logistics. And so, you know, we're trying to make as proactive decisions about management internally within the company, but also making proactive decisions as we move so quickly to making sure that we're, you know, building the right products too. Yeah, down, you know, there's this there's this little uh, uh, chart called Plan, Do, Check, Act. It helps with those decision makings, except that you have to have interjection from customers as well to grow and do great. How do customers there at uh, how have the customers been helping you guys grow and, and, and develop? Yeah, for sure. We joke about that. You know, we are a, a university spinoff. And if you don't have customers interacting with you, you're just called uh, academia. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, we really try to make sure that we're sitting down with every customer every single week, hearing the feedback, trying to figure out what's working and what's not working. Um, and so, you know, when there's issues within the product, we can sort of make sure that there's never, we're never going more than a week without talking to each and every one of our customers uh, to get that feedback in as quickly we can to the product line and try to deploy features that are going to help them run their business. And so, you know, that's just paired with, you know, just now being able to get back on, on site We've had to be proactive, not just talking with our internal team members, but with our customers. And so, you know, trying to set up weekly touch points as much as possible with customers that can support it uh, has really helped as we sort of navigate building what is a, you know, a, a bit of a bleeding edge product. And so staying on top of that's been uh, very helpful over the last, uh, you know, six to 12 months. Uh, Daniel, we just had a 3PL virtual summit the other day here at Freightways and a theme that emerged from there that I was hearing from a lot of leaders in the 3PL space was as freight tech matures, it's partnerships and integration that a mm -hmm. lot of companies mm -hmm. are seeking. I noticed that you have just completed your own. You've been a certified integration partner with McLeod. Tell us what that is and why it's important. Yeah, we are incredibly excited about this. Um, you know, our platform, if we can't get data, that's the weakest link. Um, and so we spend uh, as much time as we possibly can thinking about how do we get our tools in the hands of our prospective customers in a more streamlined manner, in a more impactful manner. McCloud uh, has countless customers in the mid-market and enterprise space using their product daily, and they have been over the last de decades. Um, and so it was an obvious fit um to partner with and so now we've just released our certified integration partner which will dramatically streamline the effort to uh bringing od on board as a as a software vendor and so the, the integration is mostly seamless and so it's really great that we can support that uh, moving forward yeah, you know, when we go to uh, events and stuff like that, people make these great badass booths with LED, right? Mm -hmm. To pull it off. I think we got a picture of yours. You guys managed to pull off a badass booth without LEDs. Where, where is this at and where can we check this out again? 
Yeah, you know, we thought we had to go a little bit bigger. We were actually uh, the diamond sponsor at McLeod and we didn't even have a booth. And so we thought it was time that now people are getting back to these conferences <laughs> to, actually, to actually set up a booth here. So uh, that one was at TMC in 2022. And so we had a great team out there meeting with customers. And so everyone really enjoyed that. Um, and we'll actually be out in Vegas uh, this upcoming weekend uh, at the TCA Truckload 2022 as well. Oh, wow. Is that booth coming with you? I don't know if that booth is coming with us. I, I think we'll put it in uh, uh, John, our head of marketing's uh, luggage, and we'll see if he can bring it over. Yeah. I was going to say, that actually folds down into a carry-on, which hand is carry. amazing. Yeah, it's a hand <laughs> carry. You just need the right docs. Well, uh, uh, aside from going to the shows, before we let you go, what's next for you guys? What, can we, what do we have to look forward to at uh, Optimal Dynamics this year? Yeah, same focus, but just double downing on the innovation and the impact that we're trying to bring to our customers. And so you're going to see a lot of job openings uh, and a lot of exciting announcements over the last year. Uh, we'll be doubling the team size over the next sort of nine to 12 months. Um, and that's really just once again, you know, trying to deliver an impactful tool to our customers and trying to drive the ball forward as, as, far, as, uh, as far as possible. So you'll hopefully hear just a lot more of the same stuff, but it should be a really exciting year for us. Well, Daniel, hey, thanks for sharing with us. Have fun out in, uh, at these conferences and out in the scene. Hopefully we see you in Arkansas in, in May. Yep, we'll be there. All right, man. We'll take care. We'll see you then. Thanks, Daniel. Take care. Bye. Take it easy. So big trend line. Big trend line last year, Ooh. actually since late 2020, was the Great Resignation, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. back then, a lot of things that were fueling it were work from home. People feel like they're working on an island. People losing touch with the culture of their company. Them seeing everyone else jumping ships. But now there's an, an even bigger wrinkle put in there. People knowing that their salary is worth 8% less than it was even a year ago sure. due to inflation. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of people coming into work, they might even be getting offered raises where they're, they're doing more work, but they're making less money than they were. So obviously they want to talk to recruiters. They want to go somewhere else that makes retention a challenge. We're going to talk about some of these trends with John, Don, Dan, sorry. I saw the Johnson. I was like, Don Johnson, Miami Vice. No, it's Whoa. Dan Johnson, <laughs> co-founder and CEO of Workstep. Uh, hey, by the way, we were just speaking about conferences. He was at one yesterday. How was Leap HR yesterday, uh, Dan? Uh, thanks for having me. And sorry to disappoint. It's not Don Johnson waiting <laughs> it's Crockett. for you guys. On the we got Crockett. <laughs> uh, Leap HR was actually uh, fantastic. We were out in Nashville yesterday with the team, and they, they put together a really good, really leadership-focused conference where they bring together a lot of high-level executives, uh, mostly from retail HR, and, and it was a really productive, uh, productive day. Well, cool. What's the, like, what's the elevator pitch on Workstep for those who may not be familiar? Yeah, absolutely. So what we do at Workstep is we build software that helps large companies better hire, but most importantly, retain that critical frontline workforce across their supply chain. Yeah. So, uh, Dan, uh, welcome to the show, by the way. And it, a very difficult space you guys are in, uh, and obviously right now. What are some of these strategies that the major businesses, like I, I guess you, you have a major customer, Kroger. What are some of the, the strategies that customers are using to, to, to recruit? Yeah, I think that to, to explain the strategies that companies are using today, you have to go back a couple of years like you guys did in the intro to this segment, which is, you know, in 2020, companies really weren't able to do much when it related to workforce retention. They were, you know, handling the immediate impacts of COVID and honestly weren't sure how much they could or should invest in their frontline teams at that time. Then 2020 rolls around, consumer demand is incredibly high, workforce turnover is 
the highest it's ever been. You know, the great resignation quit rates are twice as high as they were a decade ago and the highest all time. And companies start to do everything under the sun. New hire incentives, retention incentives, appreciation, uh, you name it. Customers in the supply chain tried it in 2021. And now rolling into 2022, as turnover remains high, companies are starting to think strategically about this problem. What are the investments that we can make that can meaningfully move the needle on frontline turnover and create really positive ROI for our organization? And what are the tools and experiences we can provide our frontline team with that will help them continue to invest in our company when there are more than ample alternative job opportunities available for them in the market across warehousing, manufacturing, and transportation. You know, when we look at trucking, that has abysmal retention. It's anywhere from mm. 95 to 100% turnover. It, it's, it's really bad. But when we look at all of supply chain, we look at the office workers, the brokers, the C-suites, and all of that. What kind of trend lines are you seeing in retention? Are, have they been good throughout this, these past two years? Are, are, are we shrinking? Are we growing? Um, are people retaining their workforce? It seems like, just looking at LinkedIn, it seems like, every, like we're doing a horrible job at retaining and everyone's jumping to other jobs, but usually within supply chain. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly not getting better. If you look at a graph of supply chain turnover over the last decade, it looks like, you know, potentially a venture backed company's growth chart, right? Every year turnover in manufacturing, warehousing and transportation goes up and to the right. And, you know, companies are really waking up to the fact that this constant rotating door of turnover within their supply chain really makes it hard for them to be operationally excellent at every part of their business. And that's a real challenge. And again, something that is now typically the number one or two concern on the mind of the CEO in this space. Wow. Unbelievable. So it, you, you got pay and incentives that's not really doing enough that, uh, to, to keep people in place and where they're at. What 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 do they use? I've I've heard before and seen statistics on you know a strong CSR customers uh, company or social uh, uh, responsibility narrative that type of stuff attracting talent and keeping people there. Is that a reality or what are the best practices to keep people and get them in the door and that talent? Yeah. So for a little bit of context, part of what we do at Workstep is we help companies collect feedback from their distributed hourly workers at scale. And then we tie that feedback to outcomes to show companies not just where are workers dissatisfied, but what exact points of dissatisfaction are leading your critical workforce to leave your organization. And so from that data set of both feedback and outcomes, we're able to build these models that show what are the top drivers of turnover within each company, within each building, within each role type and within the space overall. And what we've consistently found quarter after quarter is that the number one driver of turnover in this space is career growth. It's not pay. The workers who don't feel like they have growth pathways, and that can mean a number of things, available to them within their organization are the most likely to quit. Over the last quarter, we've actually seen pay rise on that scale in terms of its importance, but other factors such as Job expectation alignment, compelling onboarding are also very critical to driving retention in this space. 
Yeah, you know, I was looking at this and I was super surprised to see orientation at number four. But the more I think about it, maybe yeah, I it shouldn't sense. be. Now, during orientation, are we kind of considering that like their their first week of of onboarding? Because I've been on the other side of the desk. I've been I've been in brokerages and I've been in logistics <laughs> offices. And a lot of times yeah. you get that new job and they just hand you some files and they don't teach you the system or anything. And they go, go make some entries. Or they give you, they say, here's how you log into Salesforce. Here's your cell phone. Go make some sales. And that's kind of it. And it makes you feel very cold. Is that what they're talking about here? Yeah. So I think to understand why that theme ranks so highly on overall drivers of turnover, you have to understand that when a company experiences... 100% turnover on a yearly basis. Typically what they're seeing is that 70 70ish percent of their workforce stays and they turn over that last third three times, right? Many of the companies in this space see up to half of all of their turnover happening in those first 90 days. And so those companies that can align the expectation set in the talent acquisition process to that new hire experience and can make their teammates feel like part of a larger mission from day one, supported, safe, aware of how they could grow from here and understand what the wage growth potential and otherwise growth potential within the organization is, are those companies who are able to you know, lose less new hires in that sort of critical stage when somebody's still deciding whether they want to stay here or whether they should take that new higher incentive across the street and start over. Yeah. So Dan, that, that, it sounds, um, a lot of what we're talking about here focuses on uh, those that would be, I guess, within the four walls are non-drivers, right? Yeah. And, and a yeah. lot of that, a, a lot of that that is that is holding over there. I see the the training, the orientation, and stuff like that. That was considered best practices for training people back in the day. Like when I when I started, it was baptism by fire, man, because then you weeded out the weak from the strong and the decision makers, et cetera, and then you could teach them how to do it right. But when we're talking to drivers, et cetera, what is the number one thing with drivers that is, is moving that? Do you have that broken down by, by uh, uh, work uh, experience or, or job titles? I don't have it broken down in front of me. But when it comes to drivers, what we see as being much more of a critical factor is uh, – both their equipment, but also the schedule and the way that it fits into their life outside of work. And so, you know, I think it's no secret that the driver roles with more nights away from home are struggling these days because there are just so many driver roles available in the market and compensation is so competitive. I mean, hearing about driver compensation pushing into six figures a couple of years ago felt shocking. And now it's starting to feel like re relatively standard almost. So with more options available, workers are able to be more picky about choosing jobs from a scheduling perspective, from a physicality perspective, from a mission perspective that fit into the way they see themselves as a person sort of 360 degrees inside and outside of work, just like you or I. And that's driving uh, some of that driver behavior. You know, I, I like the career growth part here, too. I mean, this is especially important supply chain where when you're doing the work, you're doing very repetitive tasks and you're coming in day after day and repeating very, very repetitive tasks. And 
not seeing a light at the end of the tunnel or even having like a carrot dangled in front of you or if that carrot's just like, oh, okay, I'll be entry writer too. If I really show up and work really hard, I might make $4,000 more. It seems like that's not really gonna cut it in this competitive market anymore. People need clear pathways and they need positive feedback to understand. Otherwise, they're gonna start listening to those other offers because leaders out there, if you're not paying attention, recruiters are in our inboxes all of the time and these offers are getting mm. bigger and bigger. Yes, they are. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, we've already sort of touched on new hire incentives, but they've gone from a sort of a trick play in the industry to market standard, right? I mean, in driver spaces, you're seeing $5,000, $10,000, $15,000 new hire incentives. And so in a world in which I have skills that I know dozens, hundreds of other employers are looking for, and they're also incentivizing me to make a change, my company needs to be incentivizing me to stay. And that mm -hmm. can come in the form of compensation. It can come in the form of growth. It can come in the form of regular engagement, communication, and teamwork. But there needs to be something else there for me to decide to continue to invest in my employer. And that needs to be them investing in me. Otherwise, it just makes economic sense to go move on to one of these other employers who's dangling a five-figure new hire incentive in front of me. You know, and there's a stat in this fact sheet that you sent me that really stuck out to me, and it's the cost of not retaining your workforce Oof. inspection supply chain. It's dangerous. Workers' compensation claims costs had increased 4% during Q4 2021. If we keep having that much churn, I can only see that trend line continuing as you're you're putting people and you're surrounding them by supervisors as well who may not have the experience either. Very, very crucial, very critical right now. Oh, yeah. People who want to connect with you and learn more about this situation and need some help with retention, where do I send them to? Yeah, you can send them to workstep.com. If anybody has any questions, they can even email me directly at Dan at Workstep. Cost of turnover is going up. Turnover rates are going up. Companies need to have a strategy in terms mm -hmm. of how they are investing in their frontline teammates and structurally reducing that frontline turnover at scale. From, from your lips to God's ears, Dan, thank you so much for coming on the show today. We appreciate your time. Thank you, guys. I appreciate your time as well. Take Thanks, Dan. Hey, Michael Vincent, did yes, you sir. know that Forbes was just named AIT Worldwide Logistics as one of America's best mid-sized employers in 2022? I did not know that. In fact, AIT is the number one employer in the transportation and logistics category. Boost your job satisfaction, regain a sense of purpose. I know you've lost yours and open your <laughs> career opportunities with one of the fastest growing organizations in the industry. Visit the career section at, tell them, dude. Hey, go to AITWorldwide.com, learn more and apply today. Now, retaining employees is great. But let's yeah. go even deeper. Let's oh, think even let's smarter do it. about All right. this. Let's do it. What if we start at the source? What if we go to the well? What if we go to what? college, right? What? What if we go to people who are not usually looked at to these positions and we start training them to be the next leaders in supply chain, the next leaders in AI, the next yeah. leaders in data? Okay, you're Wouldn't talking about, yeah, would. You're talking about doing things smart. It, sure. it must mean one thing. And what if we offer that to people of color and to minorities and to people who don't often get these opportunities? Wouldn't that be cool? That's just crazy enough to work. Well, guess what? It's happening. Let's talk to Marcus Cooks, right. CEO at Duke AI, who has an amazing story to tell us about uh, a young woman, Peace, who he took under his wing and, and trained her in the Duke AI system. Duke, uh, Marcus, thank you for coming on the show today. Hey, thanks, Donor. Thanks, Michael, for having me on the show. Hey, we, we're just, you know, this talent supply is just a problem across logistics, whether it's drivers and even just technology, right? And so what we've done is at Duke, we've actually looked for other sources of finding talent and cultivating that talent. 
Uh, you mentioned Peace. Uh, mm. and she's just one of many of our students that we've recruited from Generations USA and Divergence Academy, who are local here in Dallas, but they train people throughout the world, uh, veterans, uh, minorities, women. And it's just been a success story for over the past year and a half since we implemented our apprenticeship program. I know it's been a passion project for you, right? I mean, the best projects you can do are the ones you relate to most, right? Because you feel like you have a little, a little blood in this and you can take a lot of pride in, in what you're building up. But how did this sort of come about? How, when, when did you decide, you know what, this is the direction that Duke really needs to go in? Because I think that way more supply chain companies need to do more with the college sector and more than just like putting a desk at a recruiting fair. I mean, like really getting involved in creating programs that can bring people in. Absolutely. I look at myself. I have a degree in computer science engineering. I am what you would consider a non-traditional learner. Started out in junior college. You, you know my story just a little bit. And I look at some of the tremendous products projects I've been on throughout my career. And I'm thinking, you know what? There are several thousands of hundreds of thousands of other people just like me. I'm not unique. And so it kind of created in me this desire to, what if we can, it's kind of crazy idea, what if we can go and take someone who has just maybe a fundamental background, maybe communicate uh, community college background, boot camp background, and maybe we can begin to train them in data science, AI. It, it's, it's crazy enough to work. And we've been doing this apprenticeship program now for over a year and a half. And uh, we have actually had some tremendous success stories from students. Uh, who've been able to go through that program and do real hardcore data science, artificial intelligence. Uh, and it's just uh, not only a passion of mine, but now to see them contributing to our virtual bot that's making document processing for transportation and logistics seamless, it is really a two-way win-win. Yeah, it certainly is. Marcus, before we move on, I just got to let you know that you heard the story of how uh, Dooner uh, picked UConn. He also picked Duke because he thought it was Duke AI in his bracket. But <laughs> oh, in my, in my bracket. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll see what happens there. Let's, let's talk a little bit about Peace in the program and how, and how you guys got, got involved there. Can you tell us about that, dig into that story a little bit more? How does that program work? Yeah, well, you know what? You know, we're talking about NCAA basketball, and we took a a play out of the playbook of old Don Haskins, a former UTEP basketball coach. You know what okay. he did? He, he went and started recruiting. I know this seems like a novel idea, but back in 1966, it wasn't very novel. Inner city black kids to play basketball. So he went and found other really talented, raw talent in, individuals and started them. And guess what happened? They actually won the NCAA, NCAA tournament back in 1966. Wow. And so we were like, you know, we could probably do something similar. Let's go out and find really good, talented uh, women, uh, veterans. Uh, and 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 Peace was one of those individuals. She came in, didn't have really the Python experience that was needed, uh, understanding how to do data cleaning, data science. And we cultivated her. We started putting her through some of our training. So we actually have a full training program that gets them from base, basic coding that they need to know how to understand data, how to interpret data, and then how to make intelligent decisions around that data to help contribute to the machine learning models that we have uh, at Duke. So what is Peace? So how did you connect with Peace and what was her experience throughout the program and, and, and what's she doing now? So uh, there's a boot camp uh, called Generations USA. I connected with Nicole Daniels back in 2019. The COVID kind of put a freeze on some of the activities that we had. Uh, in terms of the, the partnership. 
But then after, you know, COVID, things began, began to clean, clear up a little bit in 2021. Uh, we reestablished the partnership with Generations USA, and uh, we were starting bringing in students through that program, uh, training them. And so in the case of Peace, uh, it was it was her coming through, really going through the arduous process. And so, you know, we weren't able to retain her, uh, but she ended up getting a job at AWS, which is mm-hmm. right an incredible opportunity. So even though we weren't able to keep keep her, uh, she was able to get a job at AWS, and it was contributed uh, to the the learning, the skill sets that she had at Duke AI. Awesome, awesome. You know, Marcus, there's a movie, uh, Glory Road, about the, about Haskins and that UTEP that UTEP. Uh, 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 team that won the national. It's it's an excellent movie. Oh. But so, what else is going on at Duke? What's next? What's new? Oh, uh, we've been busy. We've we've grown since the last time we've talked. Um, our our headcount has grown. We have developed uh, uh, what we call an enterprise solution. Uh, so when we talked last year, we were focusing on bookkeeping. We've made a lot of improvements around bookkeeping. But we know that a lot of companies have a problem with scaling their revenue while keeping their operational costs low. And so what contributes to that operational cost is inefficient process flow. And so what we've done is improved our virtual bots uh, to do certain things such as automated uh, load tender entry. So, uh, you know, oftentimes you have humans entering information in TMS. And so we've partnered with uh, a few TMSs. One of them is a Send TMS. They're going to be launching uh, their product where you just send an email to their TMS of a rate confirmation BOLs, and it automatically populates the load. Uh, and so now you've got a company, a brokerage, whoever can now just not spend a lot of time on doing the arduous manual entry and now focus on sales and pricing and so forth and not focusing on the arduous part. Let Duke do all that. And so we, we've, we've had a variety of applications that, and we've just been enjoying the success and just minimize that, that operational cost and helping companies to scale. Hey, Marcus, is your dog, the, the dog in your logo based on a real dog? Somewhat. Uh, so I had a uh, my had a family dog called his name was uh, Whistle, and uh, that was his name. He was a beagle, and uh, that my oldest son he named him Whistle. And so Duke is kind of inspired from from uh, that beagle, uh, but the name is uh, really an acronym for Developmental Understanding of Known Examples Using Artificial Intelligence. And who's got the time to say all of that? So we just named it Duke. <laughs> I I love it. Well, hey, people who want to get involved with the program you're doing or they want to use the services of Duke, where should I send them to? Oh, you can send them to our our Instagram page, uh, uh, duke.ai. Go to our website, uh, www.duke.ai, or reach out to me directly, marcus at duke.ai. Yeah, and just uh, we're going to be launching an SDK soon. So if you want to get a snapshot of, of our SDK allowing you to integrate and do customization document processing uh reach out to me uh that'll be released in a few more few few months so thank you <laughs> thanks marcus and you know we're in 2022 and companies are leading with their instagram page instead of their uh their dot com so very much of the air marcus i appreciate your time today take care thanks for having me on thank you thanks marcus hey let's talk about a little uh, cannabis marijuana logistics right what's going on in that space it's Friday. challenging one let's bring on founder and ceo of sense distribution and shogis it's latham Woodward. Latham, thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. <laughs> uh, looks, where are you sitting right now? It looks nice out there. Uh, I'm in California here, in Marin County, California, north of the Golden Gate Bridge. <laughs> well, beautiful. It's pouring here in Chattanooga, so I'm a little bit envious. Uh, yeah. Let's ask you, what's a little elevator right. pitch on what, uh, what Sense Distribution and Shoogies do? 
Uh, basically, Sense Distribution is a distribution house for 17 different brands in the cannabis space. Um, we distribute all across the state of California, utilizing um, third-party entities and our own uh, delivery service. Uh, we service dispensaries across the state of California. Um, we also service Northern California, and we do a lot of things, um, you know, just across border in terms of, you know, talk and R&D. Oh, excellent. Latham, can we go through uh, some of the products that you guys uh, distribute? Sure. We do traditional cannabis uh, items like uh, smoke, like Three Kings. You got it right there. And we do our Shuggies product, which is an agave-based um, nano-infused cannabis product. We do skincare lines. We do uh, drinks. We do uh, Warren Bobrow's drink. He's a world-famous uh, bartender. We do his Klaus drink. We do Herba C, which is a canned drink as well. Um, we do a lot of really different and diverse. My, my distribution company is known for having different and diverse products. And uh, we also have F.A. Nino's hot sauce, which is uh, amazing sauce. Um, we just do things differently. We are not one of the major big players in um, cannabis like Kana or one of those. We are the people who defend the artisans in our space and that's quickly being eroded but i'm here to protect it so that's where we come from um and that's pretty much the story with sense distribution shuggies is my product it's a sugar-based product we also do stevia um i was in the agave and tequila business and my grandparents were in the sugar business years ago so we founded it um bringing sweeteners to people's lives in the cannabis space low dosage we also make a high dosage version as well you know, your modern wow. bud tender has to be really well-versed in product because you're educating a lot of the public these days. I mean, if you just saw the wide variety of products there, there really? was everything from from shatter to distillate to uh, to edibles to, uh, I mean, we had a beverage here that was infused with it. Uh, you know, you had yeah. obviously your typical joints and flour and those kind of things, but th there's a wide variety and a wide gamut of products to get from. How important is it to have the right people positioning these products so the market understands them? It's vitally important. Um, unfortunately, right now we are at this nexus in the industry where um, due to lack of credit on the retail side, uh, people are unwilling to take a lot of risks and they go for the things that sell, meaning the traditional flower items like the doobies and pre-rolls and just flower in bags, which is good because we carry a lot of those as well. We have to as a backbone. Um, but the educational process is difficult. And uh, that's one of our big things. We had an event for almost 300 people last night. I'm a little foggy this morning. Um, but it was all focused at the dispensary employees. We try to get them in and show them a good time and educate them in a private environment, which we find is much better and more forward facing than uh, to the public. So, Latham, you, you've uh, alluded to something a couple times since we've been talking. I know it's it's something that you're passionate about, and that is the some of the issues facing your industry, like the consolidation and homogeny of the of the product and, and defending those artisans, as you said. Can you speak to that a little bit? What is the issue here going on? Uh, the issue, it's a macro issue, a macro issue in terms of finance, right? Um, let's just imagine you um, run a dispensary. Basically, right now, do because there's no banking, or it's a very difficult banking scenario, you don't really have access to open credit uh, factoring, uh, typical things that help a retail establishment run. Um, you've got to imagine that some of these bigger dispensaries are turning huge numbers, like 
unbelievable numbers compared to a grocery store. And um, if you're financing that yourself, that's a difficult prospect because it's your money and you have to keep the things that move in your store. You cannot have things languish on the shelf too long. By languish, I mean two weeks. Okay. It's not like a grocery store where you've got some hard goods or a hardware store where you've got hard goods that last forever. You have to have things that move. So if the banking issue gets solved on a state-by-state basis, and I'm hoping that's where we're going first rather than the federal level, because I don't think they can handle it. Um, if we get banking entities and uh, credit unions in, in the states that operate, which we're doing currently now in California very aggressively, we'll have access to credit and capital so that people can start diversifying what they want and um, what they stock in their stores. You know, the cannabis community is is very active and they're very active online. They're active around their shops. I mean, like in Massachusetts, there's subreddit space, like I'm from Massachusetts, subreddit space around the marijuana community. And you mentioned that product shelf life. And that's that's always the biggest thing that will get a dispensary or a brand bashed if they have like really old, really dry type of flower, really cured Mm -hmm. type of flower. But why is this diversity like I, I think it's pretty obvious, but why is the indie market so important? Uh, can't the can't the larger market provide the variety of goods or or, or fill us in? Uh, the the independent artisanal market is important because there's a backbone in this industry, and it's the traditional cannabis industry. And I, I know that people who are listening to your show right now may not understand some a certain segment of that population Mm -hmm. but there is a tremendous especially in california oregon washington um there is a tremendous amount of people who utilize cannabis as a medicine it's truly in my belief as you can listen on my podcast you can hear uh our advocacy for cannabis use as a uh, a medicine i just had jeff tool on a former uh, nfl quarterback from the jaguars and uh, the buffalo bills and we were talking about how you know utilization of cannabis is starting to become more mainstream. And if you get rid of the artisanal products, meaning the tinctures that are handmade, you get rid of the salves that are handmade with love and care by people who understand this a medicine, you've got a problem because then you're talking about pure dollars and not product and efficacy of product. So that's my, my thing is we have to protect um, the, the core element of the cannabis industry so that the medicinal side is always represented. That can't be lost. If we lose that word, it's all over. Cause then we're just, a, 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 again, like a schedule one drug, which it shouldn't be, but that's what people want it. You know, the people who are super conservative want it to be. Yeah. So, so Latham at the core of that, it sounds like would be the question, good product versus good packaging, which one is more important? Good question, because, you know, if you go into any uh, cannabis dispensary here in California, especially the big ones, we call it the wall of mylar, mylar bags with snazzy labels, you know, but mm-hmm. you don't know what you're buying. Right. Um, so it's just gummies, 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 you know, and that's um, there's more to this world than gummies. I mean, a lot more. And I think we we hold our events, our House 420 uh, events uh, for the reason that we want to expose the dispensaries to things they're not seeing because the buyers and the managers are unwilling to see them because they uh, just feel that they're not going to move. Lethem, what do you think about the chat? Like one of the challenges and one of the debates that goes on in trucking is because marijuana stays in your system for so long, it's really not an option for drivers because they get hit with a a test, right? Like that 30 day window is just really tough. And I don't want to use the term beat, but it's really tough to to not get caught up. And even if you're in a legal state, do you think we need to rethink those laws for employees and for drug testing to allow this 
to, to not really test for marijuana anymore? Unless there's an accident uh, or an issue? Well, uh, 100%. I mean, efficacy in terms of testing needs to be increased and the lab, the lab work has to be increased. I, I came into cannabis out of traditional manufacturing. Okay. I, I used to manufacture stores all across the United States, ship them from my, my plant in Oakland. I've been in logistics for years and years and years. Uh, shout out to Cook Logistics out there in the Midwest. I've used them mm. for years. Um, I've moved things overseas. And um, I've also had employees who tested dirty uh, drivers from smoking uh, uh, three weeks ago. And they were involved in a minor fender bender. And I had no choice but to fire them. And yeah. that sucks. That is not legitimate to, in my mind. And this is an employee who didn't drink, didn't take other drugs, but used cannabis to alleviate chronic pain. I don't know what to say about that. That does it not only is it unfair, but it's unrealistic. And if we're going to be so hard and heavy on cannabis, uh, I suggest we get deep on on alcohol too. I suggest we get deep on opioids. I suggest we get deep on everything. You can't have it just one way. Um, yeah. If insurance companies are concerned, don't disagree. Don't no, disagree I mean, at all. How many how Go many ahead, drivers man. are out there who are actually drink the night before heavy? but get back on the road with a little buzz. I mean, yeah. you know, Latham, I've always made that argument. You don't care if somebody gets blackout drunk last night, as long as they're not drunk in the cab of the truck. Sure. Right. But if they smoke a bowl last night, then they're, then they're fired. Is it really because the testing can't tell, uh, or it doesn't, isn't really efficient at telling whether you're under the influence of THC at this particular moment. Mm -hmm. And it can just tell whether you've used it. Is that what one of the crux of the problem is? 100%. I mean, there's no, there's no quantifiable way to tell someone that they're under the influence of THC still. N none. Well, Latham, hey, you're doing Lord's work out there fighting for the, the indie and the artisanal brands. People want to connect with you. They like what you heard. They heard what you had to say. They want to get in some can of logistics. Where do I send them to? Well, you can send them to two things. You can send them to sensedistribution.com. That's S-E-N-S-E, distribution.com. You can also, if they're interested in listening in California and they want to have a House 420 event, it's H-A-U-S-420.com. You can also hear me on my podcast, which is Dazed and Infused, and I'm on every major podcast like network like worldwide. It. The name is awesome. I like the pun, my friend. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Don't guys. be a stranger. We'll catch you another time, sir. Good luck out there. Dooner, dude, thanks, man. Appreciate right it. On. Right on, right on. You know, he hey. brings up a great point about even if you want to, even if Carrie goes, you know what? We are pretty weed friendly. We're, you know, yeah, we, yeah, we're yeah, not, yeah, not sure. going to come. The problem is there's still that huge liability, like he mentioned. Yeah, so insurance he won't let you. Weed. You can't do it because I of know. insurance. We have to rethink that. We have to, like, I as a former alcoholic, well, I guess you're always an alcoholic, but right. as when I drank very heavily, um, I you would definitely be buzzed and, and kind of drunk the next morning if you were doing the kind well, of drinking Well, even if you're not and you're just hungover. Yeah. Uh, oh, you're, you're way impaired. Yeah. You're way impaired. Yeah, way impaired. Way impaired. Way impaired. The way we don't impaired. do that. I, I, Unless I, you take I do, too much, I like, do think it is that you can't just you know blow and and know whether you're high or not. That's, well, you can. They have, they have swabs now. Now they do they have, have the swabs. Melt swabs. So that's a, that that should help things. I would think it should it if it's really about safety. Yeah, if it's and really it's about, about safety, and not just keeping us down. The man. I know we want those house parties. Let's right good news, bad news. Get to it. It's Friday. I hope they're okay. All right. Bad news. A 13-year-old girl went missing for two days after making... Wow, this must be the first kind of story like this. She went missing for two days after making a connection on the Oculus Rift VR platform. 
That is crazy. Yeah, so here's the good news, though. According to Yahoo Money, Chris Evans, 25, of uh, Admiral Street in Fort Pierce, he was arrested and jailed on a warrant. He was charged with kidnapping after the March 10th discovery that this girl was in the cab of his truck at a Cheyenne truck stop nearly 400 miles from where her family reported her missing in Roosevelt, Utah, on March 8th. Police said... um, Police said she woke up at her home at 5.30 a.m. after receiving a Facebook message which said, I'm waiting on the Meta-owned Oculus platform. The user named Monkey King Buddha was his name, according to Salt Lake <laughs> Tribune. This must have been that truck driver. Uh, the FBI used the cell data. They used the Oculus data to track him down. They were able to recover the girl. She is, they said she's healthy and in good condition, and uh, he was arrested without incident. Yeah, I mean, I, I almost want to respond to this like it's a big deal, little deal, because it's a big deal, because it's, it's one of the, it's the first one of these kinds that I've heard of. I mean, look, human trafficking is an issue in trafficking, and, and I think when people don't always think of it as these sort of kidnaps and taking from another location, but that absolutely is human trafficking. You don't have to be toward some huge organization. Yeah, right, right, right. You don't have to be in Aruba and kidnap and disappear. I, mean, the, I guess the only good thing about the tech here is that, that yeah, the tech got her in trouble, but fortunately, the tech itself was also lead was able to lead them to her discovery. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good news, bad news. Man, bad news. According to CDL Life, a trucker was headed eastbound on the highway when a second semi-truck suddenly rolled over. I think we got film of this, don't we? Over as it entered Highway 401, coming to a stop in the dash camera's lane. Check this thing out right here. Yeah, coming here. up on the left-hand side here, what is that? Yeah, an he's MSC in the container? Lane. He's got uh, like an MSC container truck with a truck. Oh, MSC what? container? Yeah. Uh-oh. Hold on a second. What happened here? Right, a truck just, I, I, the truck coming onto the highway fell into the middle lane. It skidded all the way to the middle lane. This driver hit it. It looks like they were okay, right? Yeah, it looks like he hit him in a, at a lower speed there. And uh, OPP says, who's down with OPP? The Ontario Provincial Police is, says that the truck driver rolled. A 46-year-old from Brampton suffered minor injuries. So okay, the police good. said that he was charged with careless driving. But he rolled right across the lane in front of that MSC truck. Right? Yeah, and you could see him coming on that highway. I don't know. He was like a bat out of hell or something, but he skid right across the highway. Yeah, yeah. He lost it. Well, we're taking it here. He's coming in from the right-hand side here. and he just oh. Not just too fast, dude. Maybe oh. he was top-heavy. Maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe it was an LTL load or fast, something like that. And somebody man. loaded it top-heavy. But, dude, yeah, he came across way too fast. Yeah. Well, you know what? If you pour some sugies in your Coke, right, you might right. be like, yeah, you know what? I feel like some Doritos now. Like a little snack food, right? Bad news, though. Inflation. You got the, mun- you got the munchies. <laughs> Inflation is raising the cost of everything, Michael Vincent, and yeah. nobody seems to know when it'll end, right? You're also going to be experiencing shrinkflation on the shelves. WTRF TV reports that. Can you get this? Frito Lay confirmed this week how shrinkflation is forcing Doritos to shed five chips per bag. Five chips in the Three bag. Three entire ounces. Here's gone. what a representative from them had the nerve to say. The nerve to say, you grab a drink, because this is going to be tough to swallow. He says, well, now we can give people the same price so they can keep enjoying those Dorito chips. Oh, thank you. Thank you for doing me a favor, Frito-Lay. We needed him to add, like, three or four more chips, didn't we? I just, oh, so speaking of Frito-Lay products, I had some, I think they're by Frito-Lay. I had some Cheetos, some sweet corn, some sweet, some oh, sweet those are corn Cheetos. Those are, good. those are really good. They added those are really good. Uh, what else is going on? So Crest, they're, they're now selling 3.8-ounce toothpaste instead of 4.1-ounce toothpaste tubes. Charmin, you're losing 40, what are you, 20 sheets of two-ply sheets? I was just going to ask, Dooner, what are you going to do when you, uh, you know, Frito reach Lay- down and those 20 sheets aren't there? Well, Frito-Lay says they'll, they'll save more than $50 million by sticking it to us, so uh, that's good for them. I apparently can, can go. Uh, the good news is that, uh, I don't know, I mean, I guess good news for them. They might sh- save on shipping a little bit. 
<laughs> put, I mean, like, take a few ounces off these things? Act by weight. Not, not, hey, not everybody, long. catch us live. We're coming in person May 9th to 10th of the Rogers Convention Center. It's happening. Get those tickets now. $12.95 through this weekend. Live.freightwaves.com. We're going to be there. All your favorite shows are going to be there. As a Hutchinson's going to be there from the state of Arkansas. Oh, yeah. Billy Bean, Mr. Moneyball himself, is going to be there. Jonathan Hoffman from the Pentagon. We got Michael Strange from MIT Sloan School. You got Gatti. We got everybody. So you better be there too. Find me on Twitter at Timothy. Find him at Vincent the Dude. Tell him how to feed this weekend. Hey, peace and love spread it everywhere. <laughs> <laughs>